Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. When I was um, first going to church, when I you know, came back to church, uh, I remember I had questions that I wanted answered. And those questions to me were very important for me to be able to move forwards in my faith. And I kind of felt like if I didn't have those questions answered, I know this seems kind of ridiculous, but I was like protesting to God and said, you answer my question or I refuse to go any further into this thing called Christianity. Well, I got over that and I kept going. And turns out the things that I thought were super important were not that important. But to me, I felt like God was very mysterious at that point in my journey. And, you know, there was just so much that I didn't know about him. And, uh, and, and if, you have, if you're new and, and to church or, or maybe you've just been a Christian for a long time and you've thought, yes, 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 I know what you're saying. He is mysterious, you know. There, there, there are, I'll, I'll admit that there are some things that we don't know about God, but we know heaps. We know heaps because he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. For me, I know this seems kind of ridiculous, but for me, my big issue with God at the start of my journey towards Christianity was I couldn't understand why God would be so kind towards the nation called Israel. It just seemed like he wanted to kill everyone else. And I thought, you know, how can we have this God that is, you know, on one side of the coin, he seems so kind and so nice. And on the other side, he's just like, I'm going to kill you, you know. And, and so I, I wanted to figure it out. Because if you play that scenario forwards, I wanted to make sure I was in the right camp, you know. And, 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 and how can you, if he's the kind of God that's going to be, you know, mad one minute, and then he's going to be like, um, you know, really chilled the next, then, then how can I make sure that I'm not in the camp that gets killed? So, so I kept reading the Bible. Turns out that God is not as mysterious as you may think he is. There is lots of ways for us to understand the way that God wants to interact with us. And I had this morning, I had two messages that were in my heart that I wanted to preach. On Wednesday, God spoke to me and he said, I want you to speak on something completely different and I want to preach a message to you called, I'm in. Say, I'm in. I'm in. in, All right? So the Bible is filled with amazing stories, isn't it? Some of the most amazing stories that you've ever heard. In fact, I would say the most amazing stories you've ever heard are in the Bible. And the thing is, is that if God wasn't real, then it would be very difficult for us to believe a lot of these. And I guess it kind of depends on where you sit, but if you're a Christian, and in fact, even if you're not a Christian, you would already know today that Christian people believe, people that are followers of God, Jewish people, lots of people believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? So he created the heavens and the earth. It didn't just explode into being from nothingness. In fact, he created it. And if you're new to church, we believe in a God who's able to breathe the universe into existence. It's actually amazing as you begin to read the scriptures and you see that our God is the God that breathes out stars. Now, I don't know if you know much about the cosmos. I don't know if you have studied the universe. I certainly have not. But I can tell you it's big. 
It's really big. And there are stars, the star that, that our earth, uh, you know, travels around, that orbits. We have not even a large sun. There are, there are much bigger stars in the universe than the one that we orbit. And, and how did they get to be there? The Bible says God breathed them into existence. And then in the middle of it, he put this, you know, uh, this little blue planet called planet Earth. And you would think that with everything that I just told you about creating the expanse of the universe and stars and all the rest of it, that that must be God's greatest creation, but he saved his best for last. In fact, the Bible says that after he created the planet and he put, you know, you know and, he, and he said, let there be light and he separated the waters and after he'd done all that, created the animals and put all of that onto the planet, he then said, let us make man in our own image. And that was God uh, uh, talking within the context of himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, let us make man in our image. And I want to read to you this passage of scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 1, and it says this. I'm going to read to you in starting from verse 28, all right? Actually, you know what? I'm going to start a little bit earlier. You won't have it up here, but I think it'll be helpful for you today. It says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have, let them have, that's interesting, I'll tell you why in a moment, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is where you guys are going to join me now in verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. That's interesting because when this is written here, it says God blessed them. But for those of you that wouldn't be aware, or maybe you are, um, it doesn't look like he's made Eve yet, does it? But this is the mandate that God is giving to both Adam and Eve. And so what you might not understand is at this moment, Adam and Eve are both there. It's important that you get that because God is speaking to them both about the mandate that he gives to them as the first people on planet Earth. And if you're reading this and sometimes you're like, hey, this seems kind of out of order. Well, that's because you read the same way that I read. You probably have a Greco-Roman mind here where you read beginning, middle, and end. But the way that the Hebrews would write, they'd write beginning, middle, beginning. I know, it's weird, right? So, but this is oftentimes the way that they wrote. So it kind of seems like sometimes like things are out of order. So it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he gives them that mandate. And then if, as you read the story, like if you understand the way that this began to unfold, you know, God created uh, Adam and Adam was there for a little while and he had some great relationships with the animals and he was naming them and he felt a little bit lonely, you know, like there's only so far you can take your relationship with a fish, you know, like they don't say much, you know, so... So what are you going to do with that? Well, you need someone else. So along comes Eve. So God makes Eve and then he gave them that mandate. He told them what he wanted them to do. And the reason that he did that is he wanted them to be absolutely clear on why he created them. He was defining the boundaries of their relationship. 
saying, I am your creator, and this is the way that I've made you, and this is what I want you to do on planet Earth. He outlined his purpose. And after he outlined his purpose, he gave them guides, right? And so the guides that he gave them, they come in the form of words, and there are blessings, and there are curses. When God wants to bless you, let me give you something just on the side for free. His, when you obey him, that's where you're going to get blessed, okay? So the way that it works with God as he's in relationship with you is that if you obey him, you get blessed. If you disobey him, you fall under curses, right? So God is outlining his relationship with Adam and Eve. And I want to read to you this um, next passage of scripture. And this was part of the curse. So remember, he said, be fruitful. Be, I want you to multiply. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you dominion, which is authority. And then he says this uh, in chapter 2 in verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so now we see what happens if you obey God, you're going to get blessed. If you disobey God, you're going to get cursed. This is the reason why I've made you. Now go and, and, and live your purpose. Now the type of relationship that we would call this relationship, it's, a, it, it's in the context of a word we call covenant. And the word covenant is a very important word for you to understand. It's one of the things that I always speak about when people get married. I speak about this word called covenant. And when you have a relationship with God, you enter into what's called a covenant. When people um, get married, they enter into a covenant. Covenants are the most important relationships that you ever have just for all the married people that are here today. I know you love your kids, but you never entered into a covenant with them. You did with your wife. You did with your husband. So it's amazing what happens when you put the right covenants in the right priorities and orders, how all the other things seem to work out the way that they're supposed to work out. So your covenant relationships are the most important one. Now, when the, uh, when the uh, writers of the, uh, of the Bible, the, the New Testament, when they were translating that into Greek, they had a couple of words that they could use to translate the word for covenant in the original Greek word that they, and the original Hebrew word that they had. And the word that they had was diatheke. And diatheke uh, is a word that means either will or, or, or testament. Now, they had the word for promise. It wasn't like they didn't have a word for promise. They could have used the word promise. So you do this, and I promise, and you promise, and let's promise together. But they wanted something far more meaningful. And so they used this word diatheke. And, and as I said, the word means kind of will. It means, you know, like as if somebody was writing a will or, or, or a testament, you know. In fact, if you look at the Bible, you'll see that it's divided into two sections. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. We have a number of uh, agreements that God made under the Old Covenant, and then he made a New Covenant. And this is the way that God, again, the way that he does relationships. And when a covenant is written, it's always written by one person, and that person wields all the authority in that agreement. Now, when it comes to a covenant relationship or a covenant agreement, 
if you want to enter into it, there is somebody that is superior that sets the terms and the conditions of that agreement. If you want to enter into that agreement, you can either agree or disagree, but the thing that you don't get to do is that you don't get to change it. It's not about what's mutually beneficial. You're just saying, I agree to be part of this. Now, I'm telling you this because God does all his relationships through covenant. I want you to lock that in right now. He does all his relationships through covenant. And when you understand this, it will start to take out all of the mystery concerning the things of God. It will begin to remove the mystery about how is God going to act towards me? How is God going to respond towards you? If you make a mistake, what will God do? You don't have to think too much because you can reflect back on the covenant and begin to see the way that God will move and act. So God is not up and down. It's not the way that he does it. Have any of you or do you have a friend that if they don't get their coffee in the morning, that you know it's just going to be drama central? And in fact, like you just, you're going to meet with this person and you think it's, you should just bring a coffee to that meeting because if they haven't had their coffee in the morning, they're like living down here. It's like, woe is me and life is you know, horrible and, and all the rest of it. They're high, they're low and they've got issues and they get that first cup of coffee and they're like, God is good. The sun has come up, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I, I can believe again in the future of humanity. Why? Because they got a coffee. Or what if you had a boss and your boss, have you, have you ever had a boss like this? Like when you go into work, you're like, Dear Lord, I pray that they got sleep last night because you know how they get, you know? It's like they're either they're up, they're down, and depending on how your boss is will have a lot to do with how your day goes. Well, I tell you this right now, God is not like your boss and he's not like your friend that needs a coffee. In fact, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday and today. The Bible says that in him there is no shadow, no variation. He is consistent. He is the same God today as he was yesterday. So you don't ever have to worry about what kind of mood God is in. You don't have to think about that. So the Bible tells us that God made seven covenant agreements, seven major covenant agreements in the Old Testament. I think that's pretty cool because number seven, it, you know, uh, in numerology means the number of completion, right? And so they completed all the covenants that they needed to under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, and then he created something completely new. Now, let me explain to you a little bit how a covenant works. In a covenant, there are always words spoken, the words that are spoken are by the person who sets the terms and the conditions. The words that are spoken will contain blessings, but they will also contain curses. In other words, you be obedient, you'll get this. You be disobedient, you're going to get that. So number one, they're always going to have words. Number two, whenever there is a covenant being made, there is always a sacrifice. And the sacrifice included the spilling of blood. And the reason why it did is because blood represented the life force that it gives life to everything. If you take anything that has blood and you drain it of its blood, it's going to die. And so there would always be the spilling of blood. Also, you should note this, is that you don't just go out making covenants. They're serious because there was the spilling of blood. So you're not just 
making covenants wherever you go. It's not the way that these things work. So there was the spilling of blood and finally there was the seal. And the seal of a covenant would be an outward sign that would express to everybody that you had entered into that covenant. And so there are three major things that would be in a covenant. And the reason why I tell you all of this is that if you can understand covenant, then you can know what to expect when it comes to your relationship with God. And since God cannot lie, it gives you confidence for areas in your life that you know you are supposed to be moving forwards in. Because there are things in your life Areas in your life, boundaries, territories, direction in your life that you're supposed to know that you can move forwards in. And when you understand your covenant relationship with God and how it works properly, it gives you the confidence inside yourself to begin to move forwards into the areas that God has said that you can go. And I love to think about how this works in our lives, but I think that the, that the Old Testament demonstrates this story so well. And it's the story of David and Goliath. And it's one of my favorite stories. And it's one of my favorite stories, one, because most people know of David and Goliath. Even if you don't go to church, most people probably heard of David and Goliath. Just to refresh you, and so that if you haven't heard the story, you can know what it is today. There was um, two armies, two great armies, the Philistines and the Israelites. And they faced off against one another. And the Philistine army had a man called Goliath. He was the biggest, ugliest, hairiest, that's in the original language, you won't find it in your Bible, but the biggest, the ugliest, the hairiest man that you've ever seen, and he was a killer. And so he came out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, tell you what, here's what we'll do. You send your greatest fighter to me, and I will fight him. And if I beat him then you become our slaves. But if he beats me, then we will become your slaves. Why should all of us kill each other? Let's just let your great warrior, your greatest warrior come and fight against me. And so of course, when the Israelites heard this, that their hearts sank and they became worried and fear gripped them and they were concerned obviously for their lives to the point that for 40 days, Goliath would come out and say, I'll make the same offer to you today that I did yesterday. When, Israel, are you going to send me someone who's going to fight me? Well, there was a bunch of uh, guys that were at that battle that were part of the army of Israel, and they had a younger brother called David. David wasn't part of the army. He was younger than all of his brothers. He was actually tending to the sheep. And so his dad says to David, uh, a man named Jesse, he says, David, I want you to go to your brothers and I want you to bring them some cheese and bickies, all right? So go give them some snacks, you know, make sure that they're ready to fight Goliath. And so David comes along and he, and he sees what's going on. And as he's watching this whole situation unfold, he says, so tell me this, this no one has fought this man, Goliath? And all of them were like, well, obviously, yes. And he says, okay, well, Tell me, tell me again, what would be done for the man that would face this giant and, and kill him? He says, oh, they said, well, you know, you get to marry the king's daughter. And he goes, marry the king's daughter? You guys crazy? That's a great deal, you know? <laughs> so he says, hey, I, I, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to go talk to King Saul. 
So he goes to the king, goes to King Saul, and he says this, and I want to read it to you about the conversation that David and, Goli- uh, David and Saul have. And so he says this in uh, chapter 17 and verse 33. It says, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Can I just park for a minute? You read this and you know the story, so you get to the end. When he says beard, he means mane. He grabs a lion by his face. That's the danger end, okay? So he grabs a lion by his face and says, I'm going to kill you, right? He strikes him and he kills him. This is crazy, right? So he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, when that conversation begins to unfold, you see David looks pretty confident, doesn't he? You know, and let's remember this. He hasn't fought in a battle. He hasn't been in a war. He hasn't wielded a sword or anything like that. You know, he's fought against some wild animals. And admittedly, that's pretty impressive, you know. But at the same time, right, he hasn't done this. And my my question is, where does some little 17-year-old guy get the courage to fight this giant that was defying the entire army of Israel? Where does he get the courage for that? And as you look back over the text, you start to see something in there, something that you might have missed if you didn't know what you were looking for, but something that indicated to David that he was going to be in a position to win this battle. And it's right around the place where he says, I will fight this uncircumcised Philistine. And if you're reading this, you think that's a, this is an unusual time to bring up circumcision. You know, like a... You're talking about let's get into a battle and let's have a conversation about circumcision. It seems a little bit weird, doesn't it? And you start to read it and you think, well, why was he so confident since, you know, Goliath was uncircumcised? What was the point of saying all of that? Well, I can tell you this, he wasn't just insulting him. He wasn't saying, oh, well, look at him, what a mess down there. You know, like he's, uh, you know... Why doesn't he just clean himself up and get rid of that thing? You know, it wasn't an insult. I can tell you that right now. He said, well, why did he put it in there? Well, it wasn't like he was thinking of a strategy. He's not going, I'll be lighter on my feet. He's got all that extra weight to carry. You know, like he's, he's not thinking I will move faster than him. Right. That's, that's, it's not a strategy, everybody. No, David's saying something completely different there. And if, you, if you're not quite sure what you're looking for, you might have missed it. You see, David understood something that all of Israel was supposed to understand. And what they were all supposed to understand is that they had a covenant with God. So rather than worrying about the battle, he goes, hang on, let me do this. If I just go back and, and let me check what happened, because, you know, I, it's funny. I remember this, this thing about our, our great, 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 you know, uh, granddaddy. And, uh, oh, here it is. He made an agreement with God. And, and this was the agreement that if we get circumcised, which is the seal of a covenant that our father Abraham knew. Look at this. It says here that we will possess the gate of our enemies. Yeah. 
And then he says, well, as far as I can tell, he's uncircumcised. I don't think he snuck into his tent, but he was pretty sure because who, come on, like who does that for fun? So anyway, he says, I am pretty sure that he's uncircumcised, but me and my God, we have a deal. And my deal with God is, is that if I partner my faith with the covenant that he made, when these things come together, I can go into battle and possess the gate of my enemies. Now... It sounds kind of outrageous, I agree. And yet David partners his faith with a covenant agreement because he said, it is written. It's funny, it's the same thing that Jesus spoke to the devil when he tried to go to war with him. It is written. So he didn't have to think too hard about it. It wasn't about his feelings on the day. I don't think that David got there and went, oh, just really feeling spiritual. Come on, let's do this thing. You know, like he wasn't that. No, 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 no. It is written. And since I have a written agreement with God where he agrees to deliver to me my enemy, oh, I'm going to take the fight to him. So he tries on the armor and he, and he puts it on. He's like, I can't fight in this. This is uncomfortable. So the 17-year-old young man goes to a river, takes out the smooth stones and puts them in a sling, slings it, hits the giant, cuts off the giant, his head, with his own sword. And why did that happen? Because David stood on a promise that was in a covenant agreement that he had with him. And because he had that relationship with God, he knew where he could go. He knew the territory that would be given to him. He knew the victory that belonged to him. And my question to you today is, how many of you have promises? How many of you have promises in your life that God has given to you where there is territory, where you have been told you could have areas that you can walk into and possess because God said, I am going to hand it over to you. And I wondered how many of us are pleading for the promises that God has already given to us? How many of us are pleading maybe for what God has already provided. Every single person in this room has promises from God. Some of us are going to access them. Some of us are going to realize them. And if you were here today and you are new to church or you are not a Christian, you say, that's okay for all the Christians. No, 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 no. All the promises that God gives to people are accessible to anyone who believes. If you believe and you partner your faith with what God says, you get access to that same grace that he gives. But it all depends on the kind of relationship that you have with your God in heaven, your father. See, uh, I, I have a relationship with my kids that is unique. I do things with my kids and for my kids that I would never do with anybody else. So... My kids from an early age, what have I had to do? Wow, you know, I, you know I've had to wipe their butts. I've cleaned their face. I, I, I cut up their food and, and, and feed it to them, you know, right? Which seems normal, yes? But what if I had to cut up Zach's food? What if Zach and I go out for lunch today and, and as we're out for lunch, I'm cutting up his food and then he's sitting there and I start trying to do the aeroplane. Now open wide. Here you go. Ah, uh, He's going to go, get away from my lunch and we are never eating together again. You know, that would be weird. 
Or what if I came to Cam and, and, and I said to Cam, come on Cam, time to get into bed. And I tucked him in and I sat on his bed and I stroked his hand and say, it's time to say your prayers, right? Do you know what would happen? Aaron would say, get out of our bedroom. This is so unusual. And they'd be right, right? But I would never do with that with any of them, right? But I do it with my kids. Why? Well, we have a very different kind of relationship. And even though one person can be the same person, they will interact differently with people depending on what kind of relationship they have. This is where we start to clear up some of the mystery around who God actually is. Because if you understand what, how God is in the context of your relationship with him, it'll change everything that you think about how to interact with God. My question is, what type of relationship do you have with God? And everybody in here has one. If you are not a Christian and you're here today, you have one too. It is, you know, a very poor relationship because you guys don't talk very often. But you have one. It's just that you're not speaking right now. Even though God might have tried to speak to you so many times, it's interesting that when Jesus who I think is the pinnacle where we should aim to be at. He always talked about his relationship with God as Father. And that's the goal. That's what you want to aim for. And the reason why you want that is because God's kids get things that other kids don't get. And they get that. Why? Not because God's mysterious. Not because God's unfair. They get that because they are in a relationship with God. They are in a covenant relationship with God, which is why God interacts with them this way. Now, if you understand what I'm talking about today, if you can really get this, you will never again have to ask the question, will God leave me when I screw up? Is, is, is my sin God's exit strategy? I, I, I became a Christian and I've asked for prayer in these areas of my life, and I keep failing. How long is it before God leaves me? How long is it before he turns his back on me? How long is it before? I mean, I'm really trying, but I keep screwing up. Like, I just, how long is it before this? You'll never have to ask that question again. Why? Because you will understand everything about the way that your relationship with him is supposed to work. Let me, let me explain something to you. You were not born perfect. Now, some of you had mums. God bless them. They wanted to encourage you. But they were liars. You are not perfect the way that you are. You're actually not. You know, you can't believe that because if something's perfect, it can't improve. You can't improve on it, right? But y you are not perfect. And you know what a lot of people try to do is they try to work towards their perfection. That is the summary of every covenant made in the Old Testament. That if you behave, that if you work at this, if you can uphold your end of the bargain, if you can do all of this stuff really well, then I'm going to bless you. And that is the way that every covenant worked in the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong, God was still gracious, but it was a covenant of works and it demonstrated repeatedly that people would keep failing no matter how hard they tried. Go ahead, try it. Try to be perfect, not according to your standard, but according to God's. Try to be perfect for a day. Try to be perfect for a week. 
Try to be perfect for a month. And it won't take you more than a day to realize that you are incapable of doing it. That in fact, you are not able to be perfect. So God created a new covenant. And the new covenant that he created was so important that God didn't want you to miss it. In fact, the Bible is split up into these old and new covenant. And you're going to see a total blank page in your Bible if you have one. Just so you don't miss this. The new covenant. Or you read it as the New Testament, but it's the same thing. And they wanted to make sure that you didn't miss this because the last part of, this scripture, of these scriptures, the last part of this Bible, is the part that directly applies to you now. And he didn't want you to miss any of it. And so I want to read part of the new covenant to you. And it's the second time you'll hear it today because Ruth already read it this morning. And it says this in chapter 3 and in verse 20 of Romans. It says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being. So if you're new today and you're like, I remember it was like being in church when I was first back in church and I thought they were all the good people and I'm the guy hiding all of the stuff they don't know about yet. That's what I thought, right? They're the good ones, I'm not. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says because the scriptures say something completely different. It says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know, it's kind of, I know it sounds, it's kind of bad because as soon as you know what sin is, you have this tendency to move towards it sometimes. That's what that scripture is saying. Verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How many? For, for a couple? No, it's for all. It's for all who believe. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you know, you've been following another religion, it doesn't matter. If you now come to this and you, you believe this, the covenant of grace is now going to be extended to you. It says, for all who believe, for there is no uh, distinction, for all have sinned, all, everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they are justified, which means to be made righteous, by his what? Right. By his what? By his grace as a gift through the redemption. The word redemption means to buy something back, which is what Jesus did. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forwards as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. If you're wondering what that word propitiation means, this is all it means. It means a sacrifice that turns God's wrath into favor. Let me reread it to you. It says, The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forwards as a sacrifice to turn what would have been wrath because we couldn't live perfectly, and it turned that wrath into favor by what? By Christ's blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this or at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words... The curse that we read in the beginning is, if you sin the day that you eat of the fruit, you will die. But as you look back over the Old Testament, you'll see that they didn't die in the day that they sinned. Why was that? Well, it says in God's divine forbearance, he passed over former sins because he was looking forwards to something that was going to happen in the future. He was being what? He was being gracious. He was looking forward to a covenant 
that would be established in grace. Grace, by its nature, could never be earned. Grace, by its very essence, is something that needs to be given. You, you, you can't get this by working towards it. The only way that you can move away from it is to think that you can get it on your own because it's called grace. And Paul repeatedly talks about this thing called grace that God wants to give to people who choose to put their faith and their trust in Him. Paul said, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Christ. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It is the grace of God that brought me where I am and no human being may boast because it is by grace that you were saved. It's because of His grace. It's all about the grace of God. It is His grace that leads you to repentance. It is His grace that saves you. It is the grace that doesn't judge you in a moment, giving you an opportunity to begin to follow Him again, to get back onto track. It's His grace. It's His grace. It's His grace. You want to come into the prayer room that I have? In my prayer room at home, my prayers are, yes, God, I, I need wisdom and I need these things. Yeah, sure, right? But I just ask God, give me grace. Because I realize that a thousand of my best days are, com are nothing compared to what God could do as He begins to pour out grace onto me. I say, God, give us grace for this church to grow. Give us grace for this church to succeed financially. Give us grace in every area. By your grace, let people come to know who you are. By, this, by your grace, begin to shift what could never be shifted on our own. Please do it by your grace because I know I can't do it on my own. It's always by His grace. It's His grace that you need in your life. And the covenant, that new covenant, it's a covenant of grace. And what do you find in a covenant? Well, you find three things. And the first thing that you find is there are words that are spoken. And the words that are spoken are, if you believe in me and you follow me, I'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And I will pour out so much favor into your life and so many good things. I want to bless you. These are the words of the covenant that God speaks that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. That's the words that are spoken. What's the second thing you need? You need a sacrifice. And we have one. And his name was Jesus. And it was his spilling of blood that the covenant required in order for you to receive the grace that God wants to give to you. And then the third thing that you need is a seal. And the Bible says the seal of the new covenant is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God would actually fill you from within, that He would guide you, that He would lead you. And the, and the seal, the sign, it's meant to be an outward expression to everyone so people can say that person has entered into a covenant. There should be something about you that we see that's markedly different. We should be able to see the presence of God that's in your life. And if you say, I can't measure up to that, don't you worry about a thing because you're under a covenant of grace and you got time. You got time. But there's supposed to be something about you that we see that's different. Some of you, I feel like some of you have wondered why things maybe quite haven't gone right in your life. Is it God punishing you for your sin? Well, not if you've got a covenant of grace that's over your head. Because the Bible says that God punished Jesus for all of your sins. See, once you get this, 
once you understand this, you never again need to worry about how God's going to feel about you. Because even when you messed up in your deepest, darkest, most sinful moment, you can know in that moment that He loves you completely. And not only does He love you completely, but as soon as you ask, you say, God, forgive me. He's right there beside you, willing to forgive you. Why? Because you're under a covenant of grace. That's the point. That's what it is. And if you've ever been wondering, maybe the reason why things aren't going well for me is that God's been trying to teach me this lesson by punishing me. No, no, no. God, He's not going to punish you. He may discipline you. Sometimes I feel the same, but, but He doesn't punish you because that, that job's already been done. If you're unsure about it, all you need to do is go back and say, hang on a sec, wait a minute. He said He'd always forgive me. I'll, let me go back to what is written. How many times has the enemy of your soul come to you and try to fill you with shame and guilt and doubt and all of these things that he'll say, he will revisit you with all the sins of your past. Why? To try to trip you up, trick you. However he can do it, he'll do it. But you don't need to be led by your feelings. I know that when you're feeling like that, you know, you're feeling like, oh God, I shouldn't have done it. Okay, I want you to put your, park your feelings for just a moment and say, it is written. So I don't have to worry about it anymore because I know where I am. I'm under a covenant of grace. If you're here today, you have no relationship with God whatsoever. You don't even know Him as your Father. You, I've seen so many people so easily disqualify themselves from the grace of God because they thought they needed to do something about it. And in that covenant that I read to you, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, do you know something that's different about that covenant that's different to all the previous covenants is that it was God that did all three. See, in all the other ones, it required you to do something. But in this one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He did it all. So you don't have to do a thing. And because He did it, and He sealed it, and it's done, and it's finished, you never have to worry about it again. You just come back to what's written and realize what God has given to you. That's why it's a gift of His grace. Because you didn't earn it, so don't boast about it. Just let Him give it to you and just be a great recipient of it. Do you know what you need to do? All you need to do is you need to say, I'm in. I'm in. You can't change it. Oh, you don't want to change it. If you had the opportunity to change it, you'd probably start working towards it again. And the moment you start working towards it, that's the only way that you can start to lose things is that you think that you can earn them. No, no, no. At this point, all you do is you say, Amen. Amen. You know, when you tell God you're in, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. Two things I'll tell you. Number one is that you repent. And the word repentance is not something you do once in your life when you make a decision to follow Jesus. Because if you think that's what repentance is, you think it's a one-time event. Repentance is course correction. It's saying, I'm headed the wrong way. Wait, I'm going back to follow Jesus. You know, and you start going the wrong direction. You're like, wait, I'm going to follow him. 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 It's course correction. It's course correction. It's repentance. I'm going to change direction. That's what it actually means, change direction. The other thing that you need to do is you need to marry your faith with God's covenant of grace. That's exactly what David did. It exists, but I believe it. Let's move forwards together. This is what David did. He married it. And then, and this, and, and, and even, and even if you screw up after this point, you're still saved because it's by grace that you're saved. But if you want to live a life of blessing, then just be obedient. 
You know, I had a friend of mine years ago that um, was far from God. I was praying for him, for him all the time. I remember I finished work one day and I traveled back towards Christian bookshop in heavy traffic to buy a Bible I didn't need. I, I already had one, but I just felt like I should buy one this day. It made me so late uh, to get home. But I went in, I bought this Bible. Even as I purchased it, I said to myself, why am I even doing this? But on the way home that night, my friend called me and said, I'm so sick, would you pray for me? I said, I'll do better than that. I'm driving past your house right now. I said, I'll pull in and, and let's pray together. So I went in and I met with him and he really needed something from God in that moment. So I gave him the Bible that I had no idea why I purchased. And I gave it to him and I said, I just bought this, this is for you. Um, and I gave it to him and I showed him how to read it. And I said, would you like to give your life to Jesus tonight? He said, yeah, I would. He gave his life to Jesus and he said the words and that's where it ended. Because after that moment, nothing changed. There was no, no evidence. He never, he, he heard everything about a great covenant called grace, but he never married his belief with it. He just needed something in the moment. That, the challenge is for you to actually do something about what you believe. It's, it's, it's not to just hear it in one ear and let it pass out the other. You, you'll live a life that never sees the goodness of God be outworked on a scale so grand that it impresses even you and all the people that are around you. If you want to see God's grace really work in your life, there comes a point where you have to marry what you believe with what you've heard and start to follow Him and chase it down. Because if you want the grace of God, it starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.